Welcome to Interviews. My name is Laurent Autain. I'm a business coach on a quest to crack the entrepreneurship code. So I thought, why not talk to entrepreneurs and ask them the right questions? I make sure to alternate between a male and a female guest every week. I hope their answers will inspire you. This podcast is available on all your favorite platforms. If you enjoy it, there are three ways you can help me make it bigger. One, subscribe. Two, share your favorite episode on social media. Three, buy me a pizza. Blog on my website, laurentnotin.com slash podcast and click on the icon, buy me a pizza. Hi, thank you for joining Interviews. Today, we are going to the USA. I'm with Alicia Butler-Pierre, the founder and CEO of Equilibria Inc., which is a global operations management firm specializing in designing business infrastructure and processes for fast-growing small businesses. Hello, Alicia. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Laurent. How are you? I'm very well, and I'm ready. I'm very excited to talk to you. I'm excited to have this conversation, too. Great. So let's start. Tell us about your journey that, you know, led you to becoming an entrepreneur. Oh, my gosh. Where do you want me to start? From, from, <laughs> child, from childhood? Well, or... we only have 35 <laughs> minutes in total. I so... know, I know, I know. Okay, so, so let, me, let me give a really condensed version. My journey becoming an entrepreneur specifically, I remember my very first entrepreneurial venture was when I was seven years old. I I was attending, I would go to aftercare once I went to school during the day because my parents were still working. So I would go to an after, like an aftercare, after school type facility. And somehow I convinced them that if I did basic chores around the, the facility, that they could pay me money. And it wasn't much money, but it was enough for my, my father to open up a bank account for me. And I, I actually still have that bank account to this very day. And then fast forward, when I was a teenager, I would actually sell candy because I would, I would go to a store, I would buy a big, big bag of lollipops, just as an example, and I would sell them individually to my classmates. And then eventually that, that graduated into something much more sophisticated, (laughs) eventually as a full blown entrepreneur, because up to the point of me actually starting my company, Laurent, I, I actually always did side hustles or I had, you know, a main job, but there was always mm. something on the side that I was doing. So that's, that's an abbreviated uh, description of my journey into becoming an entrepreneur. Right. <laughs> and today on a scale of one to 10, where one is low and 10 is high, how hooked are you at being an entrepreneur? I am a 20. <laughs> every, time, every time I ask this question, people are going, are going above the scale, okay? <laughs> why, why is that? There is nothing else that provides you the level of freedom and flexibility as entrepreneurship. Now, don't get me wrong. It's, as you and I both know, this is not for everyone, but I enjoy learning new things, being able to, to take the new things that I'm learning and readily apply it. When you work for someone else, 
unless you're also working for a very small company, you likely won't have that opportunity to do that. So just to be able to stretch every single aspect of who you are as a person, but also your different interests and the things that you learn and pick up along the way as you talk to other people, as you take different classes, maybe online, you're able to apply those things readily into your business. So there's, there's no other feeling like it. There really isn't. Yeah, uh, I agree. <laughs> and when, when did you know, like, when did you decide that it would be a Curlibria? I wish I could tell you that it was a, a well-calculated, well-planned decision, but it was not. I was working as a chemical engineer <laughs> and right. I quickly knew Laurent that I did not want to spend the rest of my working career being in an oil refinery or a chemical plant to be, to be quite, quite honest with you. But I didn't, I still didn't know what exactly that next career change would look like. So I did go back to school. I went to business school. I received a, uh, an advanced degree in business administration. But even then, I, I was looking for another job, working for someone else. Mm. And as fate would have it, I was living in New Orleans, Louisiana. <laughs> and I decided to very abruptly quit my job. I graduated from, from business school. And I sold my house and I relocated to Atlanta, Georgia and did not, I did not have a job lined up. I didn't know anyone here, but I just had this feeling that one of these large companies that have a presence here, surely they were going to hire me, but that did not happen. And after about 60 days of what seemed to be endless job searching, I started to, through a period of introspection and self-awareness really reflect on, well, what am I naturally really good at? What are my natural skills, talents, and abilities? And is it possible for me to create my own opportunity? So for the amount of time, effort, and energy that I was devoting in spending on looking for a job, working for someone else, could I redirect that same time, effort, and energy into creating an opportunity for myself? Mm. So that's actually how it happened. Right. I was the guest on a podcast recently and uh, the host asked me this question, like, if I remember when exactly I, I decided what I would do. And in my case, I can, act, I can actually remember. I know exactly when it, when it, when it happened. But I, so I want to ask you that question. Do you remember? Do I remember? So as it relates to starting the company or what I would do, what the company would be about? Whatever, whatever, any, any key like milestone. So from the very beginning, I, because I was, I happened to be reading different books at that time and, and watching certain documentaries and other, other information that I was consuming at that time, it all happened to center around this, again, this idea that we are all blessed with natural skills, talents, and abilities. But through, unfortunately, through a period of indoctrination, we are taught to leverage those or, or sometimes to just suppress those natural skills, talents, and abilities altogether and instead do, do what's, what's popular. Mm. You know, go into technology, for example, because that's where all of the jobs are, even though you may not really like that. So through that period, again, of, of introspection, I realized I was always very good at organizing things, Laurent. 
And my company actually started providing professional organizing services to other entrepreneurs who were operating home-based businesses. And eventually it evolved and shifted from organizing to business infrastructure. And so, so yes, when I first knew, okay, at the, at the, at its very core, the mission has always remained the same. Mm. And it was, it was that when I started the company, okay, well, what is this company going to be about? What is it going to look like? What, what am I going to offer? And that's, that's how it started. Right. So let's talk a little bit, a little bit more, sorry, about what your company do when you say business okay. infrastructure, because sure. I think it's a very important topic for all of, a lot of entrepreneurs out there. Thank so you. what is the particular expertise that you have? So business infrastructure, and thank you for asking this question. So let's start with what business infrastructure actually mm. is. And it's, it's basically a system, Laurent, for, for coordinating or linking together the people, the processes, and the tools and technologies that you leverage in your mm. day-to-day operations. And, and, and successfully coordinating those things such that as your business starts to grow, and you have maybe more customers than you might be able to physically handle, you now have business infrastructure offers you a foundation upon which you can continue not just growing, but actually scaling to another level, the next highest level in a sustainable and repeatable and profitable way. And the way that we exercise or build business infrastructure for other companies, we, we do a, a variety of things. There is a framework that I created uh, specifically for creating business infrastructure, and it's delivered through sp- specific coaching sessions. We can work on a project for, for your company specifically. We also have workshops that we are now going to start delivering remotely online. Mm-hmm. And we're also finally starting to bring our internal proprietary software. We're starting to work on a commercial version of that so that even more business owners around the world can start to have access to this and actually build that internal asset for their companies as well. So are you telling me that you transform uh, companies from a state of messiness to being organized. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> wow. Why, but why is it why is it important? You know, because I see a lot of uh, small businesses, they are not that organized. They don't, they don't see the point of building what I call the foundations. Why is it so important? Because you can't thrive in chaos. You alone, when you start your business and you might just be that one person But as you start to become successful and more and more people are demanding your product or your service, Mm. you will have to hire more people. And those other people cannot function in the chaos. They need to know what work they need to do. They need to know how to perform those activities there. And if you have no structure, they will leave. And so will your customers. So it has very serious consequences. We always talk about what happens with, with, you know, small business 
small businesses, excuse me, failing because they don't have enough customers. But we almost never talk about what happens when those same small businesses that are very successful have a different problem. They have more customers than they can keep up with. And the business, is, the business fails because of that as well. So thank you for asking that because it is about taking <laughs> that messiness. And, and it may not always manifest itself in physical messiness also. Mm. It could be, you might have a digital mess. I think, I think that happens with a lot of us, to be honest with you. I mean, my company was guilty of that. And COVID, it took the pandemic to really highlight, oh my goodness, we have things here in Dropbox. We have things on the local external, you know, on local hard drives, external hard drives, SharePoint, Google Drive. I mean, all of this data and information was just in a number of places. We need one central repository. So that's just an example of, Someone who may be listening to this and they're thinking, well, oh, no problem for me. We are a paperless office that, you know, we don't have any chaos. There is no clutter. There is no messiness, but it might be messy on a digital level. Right. I was about to ask you about an, an example. And so it's good that you brought that you brought one. But just for the sake, sake of it, so people can understand it. Could you share another another example of messiness? Of, yeah, of, <laughs> of the type of work you can Chaos. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, gosh, there's so many examples. So one, one other thing that can happen is for so many pe people out there, their businesses are heavily regulated. And these auditing institutions, when they visit your company, there are certain things that they are looking for that lets them know whether or not there is a foundation in place, whether or not there is a sense of order and organization. Mm. And again, for those who may be listening to this right now, you may not think that that stuff matters, but it does. I have a great example for you, actually. I worked with a medical facility once and they knew they were going to be audited. Mm. And the auditing agency actually showed them a listing of all of the, the items that they would be looking for and that they would request. Laurent, it said things like processes, procedures. We want to see your records management systems that you have in place, an organizational chart. We want to see job descriptions. And I'll never forget the CEO asked me, but why does this matter? What, what does that tell them? Mm. Shouldn't this be about the patients? Shouldn't it be about the quality of the care that we are providing? And I said, yes, that's absolutely correct. And yes, they will look at that. But because your organization accepts money from the federal government, these are the things, the things that they're telling you they're going to be looking at. This is how they have a a, that proverbial paper trail on you to make sure that all I's are dotted and all T's are crossed behind the scenes. And if you can't produce that type of documentation, let's say, for example, if a patient were to attempt to sue your organization, you have no records or the records are, are scattered and they're, they're messy to use, mm. to use the term we were talking, using earlier. So it, it matters. It doesn't seem like it does, 
And here's the other thing to think about. When it comes to the organization and the business infrastructure, that really, we're talking about your company's operations, how you actually run your business. And that's the things that your customers, or in this example, the patients, they don't necessarily see that, but they definitely experience it. Where things that are more sales and marketing related, those are more customer facing, you know, your Mm. website, your brochures, your flyers, the things that you use to attract your social media presence, the things that you're using to attract customers to you, but they have no idea of what's going on behind the curtain. They don't know, but they experience it. So that's, that's, again, why it can be so important, especially if we focus on it from a customer experience perspective. Right. And, okay, so that brings me to uh, another topic uh, because you, you're talking about, like, uh, looking from a customer's perspective. Mm-hmm. What I see, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people will agree with me, is that I feel that the bigger the company, the more uh, they become disconnected with the customers because there are too many processes and too many procedures in place. So when is when is when is a good time to stop having when when do you know you have too many procedures or too many processes? That's that is such an interesting observation because I would think it's because you have so many people between so if you you start your company and then all of a sudden it it's just, it's huge. Mm. And you, you no longer have that direct connection with the customer because there might be several layers of management between you and that customer now. But it's interesting that you see it as maybe having too many processes or procedures. Here's, here's what I will say to address that. Processes should always be flexible. Mm. You don't want to, people are not robots. And, and this is me coming from that manufacturing, having that manufacturing background. When you, when you have processes, when you are producing a physical, tangible good, there is no room for error. It, it needs to follow the process. It's not up for debate. It's not about how you feel about it one day versus another day. Something could explode literally. Yeah. So it's very serious. When we're talking about more of what we call transactional processes, where it's maybe, okay, this is our hiring process. This is our process for screening job candidates. This is our process for customers, providing customer support. Make it flexible enough to where people can still bring their their special sauce to it, I guess, as long as the end result is achieved and there isn't a true violation of of company policy or procedure. But to your point, Laurent, you can have process. I used to use this phrase. Are you familiar with Alcatraz here in the U.S.? It it was a... Yes. (laughs) So for those who are listening, it was a a very harsh prison that is no longer, it it hasn't been in in service in many, many, many years. But I always tell people, 
you know, when you're, when you're starting to document your company's processes, don't create Alcatraz, don't create something where it's so strict and so stringent that people have no, there's no wiggle room. There's no room for flexibility. It is a balancing act. And it could be that instead of having a process, you might just have a checklist instead, Mm. where as long as certain things are done, because those certain things have to be done, the order in which it is, is performed may not matter as much as what that end result is. So, so don't ever lock yourself down. Now, for some things that you may say, nope, this is not negotiable. It has to be done this way. Then, you know, there are those, those cases as well. But honestly, it depends on the company. I don't know if I don't know if it's possible to have too many processes. I think the way those processes are documented is what could restrict creativity in certain businesses. Most entrepreneurs need to learn selling. That was Joshua Schulman, sales trainer from Schulman Communications Interactive LLC on interviews episode number 10. I could not agree more. You could have the best product or service in the world. If you don't sell it, you have zero business. Selling comes with the job of being an entrepreneur. And many entrepreneurs start a business because they are an expert in their fields. They saw an opportunity and took a leap of faith. They often fail to realize they also need to perform at sales because they see it as something the least comfortable. It doesn't have to be that way. You're not born a salesperson, you become one. That's the good news, because you can learn what sales is really about. It's a lot easier than what you think. On March 4th, I'll be moderating a workshop that will teach you the seven key sales fundamentals every entrepreneur should master. I invited a sales coach, Ellen Atherton, the founder of Two Summit Up, to share a 20-year sales experience. Hélène's been supporting entrepreneurs in their quest to generate more sales for nearly five years. Register now to the workshop, The 7 Key Sales Essentials for Entrepreneurs. It's on March 4, 2021, starting at 2 p.m. GMT. More information and registration on my website, laurentnotin.com. So I would like you now to think about your entrepreneurship journey. Okay. And share your, the lessons that you have learned along the way. Oh my goodness. So many. I would start with trust your instinct. And make sure it's backed by, by some data, some numbers, mm. but always trust your instinct. If something doesn't feel right, or if you have a hunch about something, and especially if, if that hunch or that intuitive thought or feeling just doesn't go away, it, it just kind of persists and it's nagging at you, listen, listen to that. Even when other people around you may be telling you, no, no, that's, that's not right. Nope, you shouldn't do that. No, why are you doing that? I wouldn't do this. Well, how are you going to do that? Mm. Trust yourself. Trust yourself and trust that whatever resources you need, you will attract to you. I wish I, oh gosh, that, that's a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> no, no, go on, go on, go on. <laughs> Let's get a little bit personal. Let's go. You know, I, I would also, <laughs> I, 
would also say, don't be afraid to relocate. You're in Finland. You yeah. weren't born there. I, yeah. I left, uh, you know, and truthfully, I want to leave the U.S. Just to be very honest with you, it's a matter of when I'll be able to do it. But, but I, you know, they say we shouldn't live a life of regret, but I, that's one thing I actually do regret was not having left New Orleans even sooner mm. than I did. Because again, I had that intuitive thought and that feeling. And sometimes you may have to move or relocate somewhere else to be in an environment where your, your ideas can flourish. Sometimes the, the, your physical location, the city that you may actually be living in, could that in and, in and of itself could be holding you back. So thankfully, because of all of these wonderful technologies that we have available to us now, we can do, do even more things remotely. So that is fantastic. But once we're, we're all start, once the world starts to completely open up again for travel, mm. you know, if, if it's been on your heart to relocate, go for it, do it. And again, just, just trust that you will attract the people, the processes and the, the tools and the technologies that you'll need to help facilitate that. Another, another key lesson is listen to your customers. You may think, I don't care how much research you do. I don't care how passionate you might be about something. At the end of the day, your customer is going to tell you what he or she wants or what he and she likes or does not like. It is to your best interest that you listen to them. So sometimes we, we, get, we fall in love so much with an idea that we may have and we put all of our, our energy into that only to, to introduce it to the marketplace and people are saying, I, I'm not interested, I don't want that. Mm. But all along they've been telling you what they actually do want. You just, you just might not be listening. So those are some, some key lessons that, that I've nice. personally learned, yeah. Nice. I like the one about the customers. We talk about a yes. lot about that on the podcast. Yes. It's not about you. It's about them. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You, yeah. That is the quickest way to get out of this. That is the quickest way to fail mm. <laughs> is to not listen to your customers. What are you the most proud of? I am most proud of building something from scratch. Mm. There was no blueprint. There was no one else out here in the world talking about business infrastructure. It wasn't as though I was, let's say, starting an insurance agency and there's a blueprint. This is how you start an insurance company. It wasn't like that. It was a lot of trial and error. It was trusting in myself, trusting in my own creative process, listening to customers understanding what they wanted and how they wanted that information delivered to them. And eventually I, I've, I've built this over the past 15 years into what it is today. And not everybody can say that they've built something from scratch. So that's what I'm most proud of. Where do you want to take your, your business to? Like, I do you have a big dream? I do. I want to sell. Oh, okay. I do. <laughs> I 
I'm sure you weren't expecting that. No, I wasn't actually. <laughs> I think you're the first one. You're the first first one saying that. Really? Yeah. Yes, I know that I want to sell because I have I have some other interests, mm. and you know, as entrepreneurs, we we're never. We, we never have an interest in just one thing. We, we want to do several different things. So that is my goal is, okay. to, is to sell, hopefully within the next year or two. That is the goal. All right. Let's, let's dig a little bit in that because that's an, uh, okay. it's an interesting topic. Uh, why, why within a year or two? Do you, do you have a, a, some sort of a plan when you know you're ready to sell? And yes. can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I, I recognize, and this is something that for those of us who provide professional services, especially in the form of consulting, you start to realize the limitations when it comes to, to scale. And software, which is so funny because I had this idea for software back in 2008. Mm. So it's, it's been a very long time. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying about making sure you physically place yourself in, in areas where people around you can comprehend what you're trying to do. At that time in the Atlanta, Georgia area, and it's very different now, I must say, that the tech scene is, is booming here, but back then it was not. And I tried to join all types of incubator programs and accelerator programs. I was denied every single time. I was told that my idea was not novel. I, I, was, I was told so many different things and it was very discouraging. And I, I, I'm not, I don't know how to code. I don't know how to program. So I you're a woman even, and everything. Exactly, yeah. yes, <laughs> all, all of those things, right? And so I did find someone who was a woman actually also, right. she built a prototype for me and I just kept it in house and kept it to myself. And I said, okay, I want to get really good at this. But then I had to, once I wrote my book in 2018, I said, I have to really get serious about scaling my own business. And the only way that's going to happen is if this software, number one, becomes available as a commercial product that other people can purchase. And if I can somehow create a training program for other business coaches and management consultants, very much like, for example, Lean Six Sigma. Mm. Those were two different schools of thought. They've, they've since been combined together, but those were frameworks that were created by some people and now others around the world leverage those, those frameworks and they, they have training programs developed around those frameworks. So that's how I, that's the plan for building in that institutional scale. And then from there, once the software hits the market, testing it, you know, doing a, you know, all of the marketing that, that would be necessary. And then combined all of those factors should be enough to start to attract some serious not just investors, but potential buyers as well. Well, I wish you uh, good luck with that. Is there anything that you would have done differently? I'll, I'll use link. I'll start with LinkedIn uh, as, an, as, as an example. I was an early adopter. I, I was on LinkedIn when it, the platform when it first started. And it was all about entrepreneurs and primarily salespeople. That's, that's who was mainly on, on LinkedIn. Mm. 
And then as, as it started to grow and, and its focus shifted less from entrepreneurs and salespeople and more to people who were looking to job seekers, people who wanted jobs, I, I, I was no longer active on the platform. But if I had remained active, I'm, I'm definitely a lot more active now, but if I had remained active, I can't help but wonder the people that I would have met, the places that I could have gone mm. as a result of meeting those different people. You know, you try not to uh, dwell on things that you could have or should have done, but that is something I must be very honest with you that I do think about because I, I also have a podcast. So even just in starting the podcast, having conversations with people like you, you know, mm. you're in Finland and I've spoken to people in Australia and Nigeria and Canada, Mexico. And, and you, I, I just think to myself, why didn't I do this sooner? Why didn't I leverage these technologies where I already had a presence? I just didn't leverage it as a business development tool. And I, I could kick myself for not having that revelation sooner. I mean, I really could because I would, I think I would be so much farther along in my personal development, as well mm. as in my company's development as well. And what is another one? Because you said, I'm going to, I started, I'm going to start with uh, LinkedIn. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now it's LinkedIn is done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening. You know, I'm a business coach. I listen. <laughs> You're not going to let me off that easy. Nope. <laughs> okay. Okay. I got it. I got it. Honestly, another thing is, is not acting with faster speed in developing a team. Mm -hmm. Listening to people over the years tell me, oh, you can do that yourself. You don't have to hire someone to do that. You can do it yourself. Well, it's just not smart to do mm. everything yourself. And I don't get me wrong. I read the book, The E-Myth, where Michael Gerber talks about working on your business and not in your business. And conceptually, of course, it made sense. But I just couldn't figure out how to do that with the type of business that I had. And mm. it's, I'm sure that sounds so crazy to your listeners because that's what I do for other people. <laughs> but I found it very difficult to do that for myself. But again, it wasn't until I started to get a lot smarter about how I leveraged this professional network that I was building online that I, I would start asking people questions. Well, how did you do it? Or what are some other, what are some other ways? You know, do I don't have to have a full-time employee to get help, right? So how do I do that? How can I build a team without losing my financial shirt in the process? And so as a result of those kinds of conversations and reading different books and networking with people and asking questions, humbling myself mm. to ask those questions, that's, that's how I started to figure out what would work for me and my company. But again, I was listening to not paying attention to my own intuitive thoughts and feelings and instead listening to outside counsel 
oftentimes unsolicited advice, I may add, mm. telling me, oh, just do that yourself. Or, you know, suggesting things that would require cutting corners. And, and I, you know, my business suffered the first several years as a result. Now that I reflect and look back on that, that moment. Right. Well, that was a good one. I'm happy you shared. What is the one recommendation you would give to other entrepreneurs? To thine own self be true. Make sure you can go to bed every night with a clear conscience, knowing that you have done everything within your physical power and capability to either troubleshoot something, resolve something with a customer or a vendor or a, a, another supplier, another colleague. But, but yes, be true to yourself. Listen to, you know, I'm sure that I'm, I might sound like a, a broken record at this point, but pay attention to yourself mm. and do right by others so that you can go to bed every night with that clear conscience, knowing that you truly did do everything within your power and capability to do the right thing. Mm. That's my advice. Nice entrepreneurship with a with a purpose. I mean, that's a that's Absolutely. a key topic. I discuss about that all 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 the time. Right, right. But it's yes. it's true because everybody every entrepreneur state. <laughs> and everyone's moral compass is different, sure. <laughs> as we all know. Uh, so so if you can live with yourself, then mm. that's that's what it's about. All right. My show is called Interviews, Cracking the Entrepreneurship Code. Mm -hmm. So the question is, have you cracked the code? I think I have finally cracked the code. I, I, I think so. It took a long time, but I think I have cracked the code. Yes. And nice. I didn't get there by myself, I may add. Well, that sounded confident. <laughs> 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 all right <laughs> last question how can people contact you the best way honestly is through my website and that is alicia butler pierre.com so that's a-l-i-c-i-a b-u-t-l-e-r-p-i-e-r-r-e.com and that serves as a hub for everything that i do so whether you want to connect with me on social media if you want to learn more about my podcast, my book, and my consulting practice, all of that information is available there on that website. Excellent. Thank you very much, Alicia, for your time oh, today. Oh, thank you. This was so much fun. Thank cool. you. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. If you like this podcast, please share your favorite episode on social media so we can inspire as many entrepreneurs as possible. See you next time. Bye-bye.